Thank you for downloading Crises and Kings with Rabbi Michael Hatton, an exploration of the Book of Samuel. This series is a production of Produce North America in partnership with the Corn Podcast Network and is lovingly sponsored by the Newstein family in memory of Rabbi Dr. Joseph Newstein for his fourth yard site. Be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening. And now, Michael Hatton. Welcome back, everyone. This is Michael Hatton in Jerusalem, and this is our Pardes podcast on Sefer Shemuel. Last time, we read about the tragic demise of Shaul on the slopes of Mount Gilboa and how that news had been carried to David, ironically, by the Amalekite, who claimed to have put Shaul out of his misery by killing him before the Philistines captured him. We wondered whether, in fact, the Amalekite was telling the truth or lying, but what was clear is that he intended to curry favor with David by bringing him the news of his enemy's death. But quite the opposite happened. David had the Amalekite killed for having stretched forth his hand against God's anointed. And in so doing, David made it absolutely clear that not only did he play no role in Shaul's death, but he absolutely was not pleased with that outcome, even though ultimately it was necessary for Shaul to die in order for David to be proclaimed king. Chapter 1 went on to offer one of the greatest elegies in the Hebrew Bible, a lament over the death of Shaul, and especially Yonatan, authored by David. With chapter 2, the action quickly picks up. David inquires of God as to how he should proceed, and God indicates to him that it is time for David to relocate. He does so with his wives, with his followers, with his men, to the city of Hebron, the tribal capital of Yehudah, of Judah, David's tribe. And there the text reports in verse number four, Vayim Shechusham et David lemelech al Beit Yehuda, the people of Yehuda anointed David as their king. So for now at least, David has become king, but only over his own tribe. David is informed that the heroic people of Yavesh Gilad had saved the bodies of Shaul and his sons, where they had been impaled on the walls of Beit She'an by the Philistines, as reported at the end of the first book of Samuel. And David expresses his gratitude to them for having honorably treated their master in that way. May God bestow grace upon you and truth. I will as well because of this good act that you have done on behalf of Shaul, your master. Once again, David makes it absolutely clear that the people of Yavesh Gilad did a noble deed in providing burial for Shaul and his sons, thus broadcasting for everyone to hear that David was not at all happy with the news of Shaul's death quite the opposite, and actually supported those who had showed bravery in burying Shaul's corpse and the corpses of his sons. 
David continues his message to the people of Yavesh Gilad, May your hands be strengthened, be valiant. Your master Shaul is no more. And as for me, the house of Yehuda has anointed me as king over them. This is an oblique way for David to now announce that his kingship has been established at Hebron in the tribe of Yehuda, but the intention, obviously, is for David to be king over all of Israel. But that will not happen immediately. Of Ner ben Ner, Shaul's chief of staff, now appoints Ish-bosheth, the son of Shaul, as king over Israel and establishes his monarchy at Machanaim, on the eastern side of the Jordan. He made him king over the Gilad and over the tribe of Asher and Yisrael, Ephraim and Binyamin, and over all of Israel. So David may have been proclaimed king in Yehuda, but he can no longer become king over the other tribes as long as Ishbosheth remains in power. This is, of course, a surprising development for many reasons. Number one, it is surprising that somehow Avner ben Ner, Shaul's cousin and chief of staff, managed to survive the battle on Mount Gilboa in spite of the fact that Shaul and his three sons, Yonatan, Yishvi, and Malkishua, all perished. It's also surprising to find out about Ishbosheth, Shaul's fourth son, who has never been mentioned in the narrative before. In fact, when we were first introduced to Shaul's family in chapter 14 of Shemuel Aleph of the first book of Shemuel, Ishbosheth was not even mentioned. This seems to indicate that Ishbosheth had never been in the running to one day succeed his father. When family members are mentioned in a biblical context, it's usually for a reason. Either they will play a direct role in the story, or they are perhaps associated with a line of succession. So therefore, in the first book of Samuel, when we meet Shaul's sons, we hear about Yonatan, Yishvi, and Malkishua, presumably because that is the line of succession. But it now emerges that Shaul had a fourth son by the name of Ishbosheth, a son apparently who was not king material and no one expected would ever succeed his father. But because of the tragic events, the death of Shaul and the other three in battle, there is no one else to succeed the king. And it is Avner who seizes on the moment to now make Ishbosheth king. And by the way, the text makes it very clear that Avner is the power behind the throne. Or to put it differently, Ishbosheth is no more than a puppet king being wielded skillfully by Avner, Shaul's chief of staff. If I were a conspiracy theorist, I might wonder how it is that Avner survived that battle. 
I might in fact speculate that Avner had an inkling, or perhaps more than an inkling, that Shaul and Israel would be defeated. After all, that was the oracle that Shaul had received from the witch of Endor. Had Avner been privy to that meeting between Shaul and the witch of Endor? Did Avner realize that Shaul was in no state to defeat the Philistines? Could it be that Avner actually absented himself from the battlefield or otherwise slipped away to survive another day? The text does not indicate, but Avner is a wily and shrewd general. Perhaps he saw the writing on the wall and made it his business to ensure that one way or another he would survive. Having survived, he now takes Ishboshet, Shaul's remaining son, and installs him as the king over Israel, when in fact it is Avner who is wielding the power behind the throne. One other short note. We do hear about Ishboshet in the book of Chronicles that actually gives us Shaul's genealogy. But in that version, he is reported as not Ishboshet, but Esh Baal, a slightly different name. Boshet, of course, means shame. Ishboshet, man of, the, of disgrace or man of shame, is not actually a very nice name. In Divrei Hayamim, in the book of Chronicles, his name is Eshba'al, which means man who is a master, Baal. In all probability, Eshba'al is his real name. The author of the book of Samuel intentionally changed that name to Ishboshet because Baal becomes a bad word in ancient Israel because of its associations with Baal worship. Baal is the head of the Canaanite pantheon, the storm god and the god of fertility. Eshbaal innocently meant a masterful man and expressed some sort of hopes for the child's future. But when the story was recorded in Sefer Shemuel about him coming, becoming king by the hands of Avner, his name was edited to reflect a new conservative streak, as if Baal had become a bad word tainted by its idolatrous associations, and therefore Esh Baal became Ish Boshet. And we will see this happening again when Yeru Baal, which is the name for Gidon the judge who strived against Baal, will be reported in Sefer Shemuel as Yerubeshet for exactly the same reason. In any case, Avner has now made Ishboshet king, and he is king over Israel, even as David is king over the tribe of Yehuda. And the text now indicates Ishboshet was 40 years old when he became king over Israel, and he ruled for two years. David, however, ruled in Hebron over the tribe of Yehuda for a period of seven and a half years. And of course, there is a discrepancy here. If we assume that David and Ishboshet 
both come to their respective thrones at the same time. So what happens after Ishbosheth's death two years hence? David apparently will not become king for seven and a half years, which indicates a discrepancy of five and a half years. So the commentaries have attempted to solve it. One possibility is there actually is an interregnum, no king whatsoever for a period of five and a half years. Then Avner elects Ishbosheth as king over Israel, while David becomes king over Hebron and over the tribe of Yehuda. That's one possibility. The other possibility is that there is a five and a half year period after the death of Ishbosheth before David becomes king. One way or another, what is indicated by the discrepancy is that the route, the road to the throne is a convoluted one. It will take many years after the death of Shaul for David to become the king over all of the tribes of Israel. In the meantime, the text reports that Avner ben Ner and those that served Ishbosheth, the son of Shaul, went from Machanaim to Giv'on, and there they are met by Yoav ben Siruyah and David's servants. They are met at the pool of Giv'on, and a battle breaks out between the two groups. So this is an indication that, in fact, Avner is now attempting to shift the power base of Ishbosheth from the eastern side of the Jordan in Machanaim to the tribal base of Benjamin, Shaul's tribe, where Giv'on is located. Avner now determines the time has come to bring Ishbosheth to his tribal power base of Benjamin. And so he attempts to test the waters by coming to Giv'on, but he is met there by David's loyal fighter, Yoav, the son of Tziruyah. As this book unfolds, Yoav will play a major role in fighting David's wars. He will be David's most skilled general, but we've never actually heard of him before, except in an oblique reference in the first book of Samuel, chapter 26, where his brother Avishai is mentioned and introduced as Avishai, the brother of Yoav. So first of all, there is a family connection. The mother of Yoav and Avishai is Tziruyah, who happens to be David's sister, which is to say that David and Yoav are actually related. David is Yoav's uncle. Yoav and Avishai are brothers. Or to put it differently, in ancient Israel, as in most tribal societies, power is a function of family, clan, and tribe. Just like Avner Ben-Ner was Shaul's cousin, and that probably was the reason why he became Shaul's chief of staff. Similarly, Yoav is David's nephew, as is Abishai, and that probably explains 
how it is that they become loyal David supporters and fighters on his behalf. A battle now ensues between the men of Avner and the men of Yoav, and that quickly degenerates into something even larger, a civil war which begins to take shape. In the course of the battle that ensues, Yoav's brother Asael is killed by Avner, even though Avner warns Asael not to chase him. So we will have reason to return to this moment later in the story. We will discover that in these battle stories, there are also blood feuds which play a role, once again, a feature of traditional and tribal societies. So in the battle that ensues between the men of Avner and the men of Yoav, Yoav's brother Asael will be killed by Avner, and Asael will not forgive that act. In the end, Avner will say, it's time to call this off before it turns into a civil war. As he puts it, verse number 26, Avner called out to Yoav and he said, will the sword consume forever? Surely you know that in the end, this will be bitterness. For how much longer will you not tell your men to desist from fighting their brothers. At that moment, Yoav sounds the shofar and calls his men off. The battle essentially ends with a stalemate. Avner survives for another day. Yoav and his men will regroup. But the text reports, when all is said and done, that Avner and his tribe of Binyamin suffered 360 casualties, whereas Yoav and the David supporters only lost 19 men. In the end, Avner will return to Machanaim. Yoav will return to Hebron, bearing the body of Asael, his brother, who is buried at Beit Lechem. And the final verse of the chapter, but not the final verse of the section, reports, they carried Asael and buried him in the sepulcher of his father, which wasn't Beit Lechem, and they went all of that night, Yoav and his men, and when they arrived at Hebron, the light was dawning. So even as this battle ends with much bloodshed, even as Asael has died, the text reports that as they arrive at Hebron, the dawn breaks. Clearly a symbol to a dawning of David's kingship, which will ultimately happen after all of these things have been sorted out. But actually, the first verse of chapter 3 is the final piece of the section, and we've pointed this out before, that the chapter breaks do not always correspond to the traditional break in the text. It's therefore appropriate 
to read the first verse of chapter 3 as the conclusion of the section. And this is what it says. The war was very long between the house of Shaul and the house of David. David became more and more strong and the house of Shaul became weaker and weaker. So clearly, we know where the story is headed. David will ultimately prevail. The house of Shaul will ultimately be defeated, but it's going to be a long and convoluted journey to that destination. So reflecting on this chapter, we see embedded in it even David beginning to exercise kingship, but not unopposed, namely by the Shaul supporters in the tribe of Binyamin, by Shaul's surviving general of Ner, who installs Shaul's surviving son, Ishbosheth, as king. And we see the possibility of a civil war averted, thankfully, by the thinking of Avner and by the agreement of Yoav. So the good news is, even as this dynastic struggle is being worked out, the house of Shaul on the one hand and the house of David on the other, it seems as if the antagonists appreciate that the worst possible development would be a civil war. And fortunately, they are both able to pull back from the brink before that actually takes place. Thank you again for listening to Crises and Kings with Rabbi Michael Hatton, a production of Parties North America in partnership with the Corn Podcast Network. If you liked what you just heard, please give a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening.